0: Well good morning EBC. My name is David. I'm a member here who is helped every day by the other members of this church to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I hope that's happening for you too. That's what we're striving for here at EBC. You know we don't like John said we don't come here just to fulfill religious obligations. We come here to worship God, to be changed by God. One of the main goals of this church is to make disciples and to help one another to be transformed by God's Spirit as we follow Christ together. Now, God's given us several amazing pictures in nature of transformation. Uh, They help us to understand our own need for spiritual transformation, one such picture is the caterpillar that changes to a butterfly. You know, in its first form, that caterpillar is an ugly worm-like creature. It, it eats and eats and eats, and, and then it sheds its old skins as it grows. Then one day, what's underneath that outer skin is this, this small green home that's called a chrysalis. That inside that tight case of the chrysalis, a transformation takes place through a process that changes that ugly worm into a beautiful butterfly. The, the, ca- the, the caterpillar's mouth, it's reconstructed into this straw-like part that's used for sipping nectar. No, no more will that creature ever eat solid food again and rather than having eight pairs of legs as a caterpillar the butterfly will have three pairs of legs and its eyesight having much bigger eyes now will greatly improve and the butterfly will gain reproductive organs what it did not have as a caterpillar. All of this happens in about 10 to 14 days. And as the transformation nears to completion, only one thing remains, and that is to come out of that chrysalis and fly away. Now the caterpillar wasn't created to remain an ugly worm. It was always meant to become that beautiful butterfly. And similarly, Christians are not meant to remain as sinful forever. We're meant to be transformed by the gospel and by the spirit of God. We're meant to take spiritual nutrition of God's word in and and to shed the, the skins of our ugly fleshly nature to be transformed from that old person who we were before, to a new person in Christ. Now, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, or the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Friends, that's, that's what we are in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation and the process of transformation in the life of a believer is what we're looking at this week in our series through the EBC Statement of Faith. It's that process called sanctification. Now, the main thing I hope you understand is that believers grow in transformation through the process of sanctification, Believers grow in transformation through the process of sanctification. But in this process of sanctification, friends, I want you to know you're not alone. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in you through the practice of spiritual disciplines to help you become more Christ-like. The goal of a true believer is every day, to be more and more like Jesus. So, first we're going to look at what sanctification is. What is sanctification? Then we'll consider how does sanctification happen? So those two things. Now, our statement, number 12, begins, we believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of His holiness. So first a definition. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. That's what that word means. To make something holy is to set it apart as special or for special use. For instance, there's, there's really nothing outstanding about this bread and juice that we're going to use later today, but it has, it has been set apart for a special purpose, a special use in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And in that way, it is holy. It has been sanctified for that purpose of reminding us as believers of our covenant with God and with one another. That's what this bread and juice will do for us today. Now, what does it mean then to be sanctified? Well, let's consider four things. First, sanctification means that we have the honor to take part in God's holiness. I, I, I used to think that being holy meant, you know, no more fun. That, that, you know, it meant waking up before the sun. It meant maybe shaving my hair off and cutting off relationships and putting on the clothes of a monk or or if you're a girl, a nun. Uh, That's what I thought being holy meant at one point in my life. Well, sanctification does change our lives for sure, but it doesn't mean no more having fun. In fact, when we grow in God's holiness, it will actually lead to our greatest satisfaction. Holiness is, is satisfying. In fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end or highest goal of man is to love God and to enjoy Him forever. You see there, joy is part of the equation. God created us in His image to love and enjoy Him And since God's the source of all that is good and right and true, it makes sense then that we would find our greatest satisfaction in Him. And He is honored when we do. You know, John Piper has famously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You know, sin does seem to delight in, in the moment. And that's why people sin, they, they find pleasure there. But in, in God, we can, in tr- we can truly experience more joy without guilt, more pleasure, even though there may be pain, more contentment with re- without regard to the cost. For friends, we do have an inheritance in heaven There is far more satisfaction in God, even if we have to wait for it. Far more satisfaction in God, even if we have to wait for it. It's this waiting for what is better that is called delayed gratification. And we do that with many things. Giving and receiving presents for the holidays. You know, we have to wait for Christmas. Eating dessert at the end of a meal. You know, you, you, you finish your meal and then you get dessert. Keeping oneself pure for marriage. It's delayed gratification. We wait for things often. Well, sanctification. Sanctification, firstly, is the honor of partaking in God's holiness. We're not holy now, but we're working towards that. So secondly, sanctification is a progressive process that confirms Christ's work in a believer. So that statement continues, it is a progressive work that begins in regeneration and carries on in the hearts of believers. So Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So firstly, sanctification begins at regeneration. Regeneration. Now, regeneration, that is when a person is born again. The moment a person is born again, the process of sanctification also begins. You know, it's at that time of regeneration that a believer is justified. We've talked about justification before. You can think of justification like a courtroom. God is on his bench as the judge, and Jesus is your defense lawyer, And he says, by my death and resurrection, I have paid the penalty for this one's sins. And so then God, from his judge seat, declares you righteous, free, innocent of guilt. That's what justification is. And it is entirely God's activity and it sets forever for us this new legal status before God as being perfectly holy. So in a moment, in justification, as soon as you believe, you are declared holy. That's also when this process of sanctification begins. Now, one thing to say here, what this means is that only believers can actually experience sanctification. So if you've not trusted in Christ to justify you before God, that's your first step. That's the first thing that needs to happen. So understand, sin has separated us from God. And if you, if you have not come to Christ, you stand justly condemned, subject to the sentence of eternal fire and hell because of sin. But there is one who came to pay that penalty that you deserve and cannot pay yourself. And that is Jesus. Jesus, the perfect son of God. He died on the cross to bear the full payment of our sin for everyone who would believe. And as he bowed his head in victory, in death, he he shouted out that victor's cry, it is finished. And it was a victory cry because he didn't stay in the grave. That's why he is the victor. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. And now all who put their trust in him, who no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, they have eternal life in him. All you need to do now is to repent and believe. Submit to his leadership by turning from your sin and following him. And in doing this, you will receive God's declaration of righteous. You will be justified. And being justified, you will begin that process of sanctification. That's what it means to be justified. Now, those who are justified are being sanctified. So sanctification, then is also a work that continues throughout a believer's life. We are being sanctified. We participate with God in this process. It's not not just his work. It's something that we also must engage in. Now, some some may make more progress than others in this process. But but the process or the progress is, is never a straight line. It's not like someone just goes growing in a straight way. We, we, we grow like this. We, we grow ups and downs. Sometimes we take large steps forward. Sometimes we may even take steps back. But sanctification is a lifetime process in which we grow in greater holiness through time. It will never be complete in this life but there will be a time when it will be complete. And that is when our physical bodies are resurrected. That is called glorification. In that moment, the transformation will be complete and perfection will be applied to all those who have believed. And like that butterfly will we'll fly away in the resurrection to be with our Lord and Savior forever, perfected fully beautiful. Now, throughout justification and sanctification and glorification, God is working to conform us to the image of Christ. As Romans 8.30 says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He is at work throughout the process So sanctification is a process that confirms Christ's work in believers. And then thirdly, sanctification is the mark of true faith. Being being religious, doing good deeds, uh, by themselves they miss the point. Many people do good things. Muslims, Buddhists, even atheists can do good things. But only those who have been born again by God's spirit will be justified and begin that process of sanctification. Only they will be holy like God is holy. So what does it look like then to be in this process of sanctification? Well, Paul talks about it in Ephesians. We can, we can look there in Ephesians chapter four. Paul says there in, in verse one of Chapter 4, that it it is that we would live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Live a life worthy of the calling we have received. But how? Well, he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's effort on our part. He goes on to say, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Verse 20 to 24, he actually gives us another image. It's the image of changing clothes. Look there in in 20 in true righteousness and holiness. So sanctification involves a new way of life that is worthy of the gospel that Christ gave us by his blood. And it's so different from our former way of life that it's, it's really like changing clothes. You see, there's a, a contrast between the works of the flesh, and the works of of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that grows in the life of a believer. We find a sample list of that in Galatians. In chapter 22, we have this list of the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Friends, our lives should look so different in Christ. So if your life looks somehow similar to what it looked like before or the friends around you, then there may be a problem. The fourth thing is that there's a goal in this process of sanctification. The goal of sanctification is transformation. It's living less and less according to the passions and desires of the flesh and becoming more and more like God in true righteousness and holiness. It, it's the imitation of God's character. That's, that's what sanctification leads us to. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians five, if you flip back to the or forward to that, you know, he says in five one, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So I hope it's clear what sanctification is and why that's important Let's consider now our, our, our second point, how sanctification happens. The statement says, Sanctification happens through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and the comforter. The Spirit works through the continual use of spiritual disciplines, including reading and hearing the Word of God, Christian fellowship, self-examination, and prayer. So a few things here. Sanctification is It's both God's work and our work. It's passive as well as active. And and I want to show this to you in Philippians, what we looked at a little earlier. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your your salvation with fear and trembling. For... It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So here, here, friends, we see that believers must be active. Work out your salvation. But we also see that believers are passive. That it's God who's working. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. God is at at work. He's moving us. He's moving our will. Remember the will that was once bound and now has been freed in Christ. He's moving even our will to desire holiness, to want it. And then he moves us to actually do it, to to get up off of our chair and do it. So the process of sanctification is both passive and active, God is working and we're working. But it's not only these two who are involved in sanctification, I mean, it's like this, if you wanna get better at a sport, you need your coach, you need to practice, and you need a team. The same with sanctification, the Holy Spirit initiates, he moves us towards God, towards his holiness, and then having joined the team, You see, we we actually must actively work with him, practicing holiness in daily life. But we also need the church. We need the church to encourage us and to give us this context for living a holy life. We don't do that on our own like, like a monk up in the mountains. We do that down here with one another. Let's consider each of these who work in our sanctification. First, the Holy Spirit works. Now, before anything else, the Holy Spirit convinces us of sin's presence in our lives. John uh, 16, 8 says, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Before we're connected to Christ, the Holy Spirit has to show us that we haven't been connected to God. He convicts us of sin and brings us to Christ. And he continues, even as we're in Christ, to convict us of sin. I mean, I've, I've found that the longer I walk with Christ, the the Spirit makes me even more aware of deeper sin in my heart that I didn't even know was there. I mean, perhaps it sounds strange, but the, the longer I've been in Christ, the more of a sinner I realize that I actually am. It's kind of like the song that we sang earlier. And what does that mean for, for me, for you? It means we've got a lot of work to do in sanctification, We're we're not finished yet. At the same time, the Holy Spirit reminds me that I am in Christ. So the Holy Spirit's not just telling me, you're a sinner, Keep, keep confessing your sin, but he's saying, you're in Christ. Ephesians 1, we looked at last week, you know, it said, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So the the Spirit is, is testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. And he helps us in our weaknesses. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. Convicting us of sin, reminding us that we're in Christ. So the Holy Spirit is work is at work, as God moves us to will and to work towards sanctification. And he he convicts us of our sin within, helps us in our weaknesses, and reminds us that we belong to Christ. So the Holy Spirit's working. Now let's consider, secondly, we as believers who work. So sanctification doesn't just happen to us. We, we, we can't just sit around and wait for holiness to come to us. It doesn't work that way. In fact, in, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul tells the believers to pursue transformation in sanctification by the renewing of your mind. That's an active thing. It requires our work, our effort. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now there's motivation to get up out for your seat and work on your sanctification. If you're not holy, you're not going to see the Lord. Now, does that mean that you can lose the salvation that, that God has declared over you in justification? No. No, you don't lose that. But but it does it does lead you to look inside. And if you lack progress in sanctification, it may reveal a couple of things. One, you, you may need to get get up and start doing something. It may reveal that you've never actually been justified by God, that you've never actually received the Holy Spirit to help in your spiritual growth. And that's why those, those four spiritual disciplines are, are mentioned at the end of the statement on sanctification and why they're so important. And the first one is, or it's not the first one, but it's one of them, self-examination. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith friends, we need to be doing that. Look deeply at your life. Are you looking to Jesus as the centerpiece of what it means to be a Christian? Or is it just an identity that you have like on your ID card? Do your motivations, your words, your actions back up the fact that you believe in Jesus? Is your life any different as a Christian than it was before? Different than, than those around you who don't believe? Is it, examine yourself. Now, I'm going to encourage you to practice self-examination in just a moment before we take the Lord's Supper. So we're going we're gonna to apply this today in just a moment. Another spiritual discipline is prayer. Do you communicate with the God who saved you? Are you praying? What do you talk about with him? Only your own concerns and needs? Or do you pray for others? Do you speak about with him the concerns that are on God's heart? What are the concerns on God's heart, you wonder? Well, that's, that's what leads us to the third spiritual discipline mentioned there. Reading and hearing God's word. We live in this, in this world of, of worldly teaching that it, it sucks us dry like a sun-baked desert. And, and we're just, the world is constantly pushing itself upon us. I want to encourage you Christian, to put yourself under the refreshing rain of God's word. Let it wash over you as you read it for yourself, as you hear it preached or uh, uh, taught to you. Read through all of the Bible, not just one portion of it, not just Psalms. Psalms are great, but read the whole Bible The New Testament is wonderful. It tells us everything that Jesus did, but don't forget the Old Testament. If you're struggling to read the Bible on your own, then I want to encourage you to read it with a friend. Help get that started in you. Isaiah 55 describes the the word of God as rain. He says, the rain and snow come down from heaven and and as they don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and to flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and even bread for the eater, so it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Let the word refresh you. Fourth thing that's there is Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship may happen in many ways, but the Bible specifically calls Christian fellowship the church, the church. The church is the biblical context for holy living, Uh, which brings us to this this, uh, third one who works in the process of sanctification. And that is that the church works in this process of sanctification. There's this, uh, perhaps you've heard this African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a church to raise a child of God. It takes a church to raise a child of God. You see, it's in the church where we are able to apply the 30 plus one another commands in the New Testament. It, it's, let me just give you a few of those one another commands and hear how the church is engaged. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to, toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Or Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Or Romans 14.7, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. Ephesians 4.2, be patient, bearing with one another in love. This happens in the church. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. James 4.11, do not slander one another. 1 John 4.7, let us love one another, for love comes from God. My friends, I know none of, none of that is easy. <laughs> it's, it's not easy to do that even in the church, even with Christ. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen calls it iron sharpening iron. It's not easy. Sometimes we're knocking into each other's lives. Sometimes that knocking into each other's lives is like an artist with a, a hammer and a chisel, chiseling away and creating a beautiful sculpture. Sometimes we're more like, The stones and water and sand that you you put in that little machine called a tumbler and they they tumble around, tumble around, tumble around. Those stones become smooth and beautiful as they knock the rough edges off of one another, as they smooth over the, the worn down places, all the while staying in the tumbler and it takes time till each one comes out as smooth, beautiful gems. And that's what we are in the church, in the tumbler of the church. We're we're knocking around with one another and, and we stay together, knocking one another's rough edges, smoothing over those other parts until we come out smooth and beautiful gems in the house of God. So what what does a a sanctified life look like? I, I, I could give many examples. But it looks like our brother Red One. Who before he joined our fellowship, it was really hard to discern his faith. But now even though his life circumstances have gotten even more difficult than they were before, his faith is more evident. Though he could easily just stay away and choose to neglect gathering together, he's choosing to, to be here. He's choosing to be patient at home. He's choosing to not let unwholesome words come out of his lips. And I have personally benefited from his encouragements on the WhatsApp group. It's, it's like Sister Irma finding ways to serve, whether with her medical skills at the IDP camps or helping another sister explore Christianity as they read the Gospel of Mark together. It's, it's Brother James, uh, Brother James, who at one time was nearly disciplined by the church for a life that was out of sync with his confession of Christ, who, whose life now is an example to many of the faith and love that are in Christ. A sanctified life, friends, is one who doesn't gossip or speak poorly of his brother or sister to others, but they go to their brother. They go to their sister to show the fault, so as to win the brother's reconciliation. A sanctified life doesn't make excuses to neglect the Friday gathering, such as you know going hiking or being too tired. To, you know, just from staying out late the night before. It's it's a person who plans with joy for these times of worship together. Uh, readying themselves with good sleep the night before, preparing their heart and their mind to hear the word of God as we gather together. They don't see this gathering as just something that they will gain from, but they're actually also thinking about how can I serve others when we get to the gathering? Maybe a word of encouragement or correction or counsel. A sanctified life, A sanctified life looks ever less like the surrounding culture or the culture that you came from and more and more like the character of Christian living that we read throughout the New Testament. Sanctified life is not just doing good things. It's growing in transformation through the process of sanctification by the Holy Spirit's power together in the church. And one day our, sanctifi- our transformation through sanctification will be complete. And we will enter into heaven to be with Jesus finally and forever in a final glorification as we stand in the presence of our Savior and King. And don't we all look forward to that day? Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father, we... When we think about sanctification, it is hard. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot be holy apart from you. We need you to work in us, to will and to work according to your good pleasure. Lord, we, we beg of you to help us to grow in holiness Lord, there are so many things like old skins that need to be shed like that old caterpillar in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to to grow out of those things. Lord, help us to be transformed in the cocoon of your word so that, Lord, one day we will, by your grace, emerge as something completely transformed and beautiful. What Paul tells us in the resurrected life will be like. Lord, we look forward to that day when we will stand in your presence face to face with our, our creator, our savior, and our helper. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, one way that the Holy Spirit leads us uh, or acts in our sanctification is through these two ordinances that we have in the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Each one is a reminder of the covenant that we have made before God and with one another as, as we've entered into that. Baptism symbolizes the beginning of that covenant. Baptism for the Christian is like the wedding day. For a married couple. And Lord's Supper is a reminder of that covenant. It's like the wedding anniversary for that married couple. Baptism is a symbol of our entrance as believers into the death and the resurrection of Christ. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The Lord's Supper, it is a symbol reminding us as believers of the death and resurrection of Christ that has saved us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate now, is a picture that proclaims the gospel that we believe. The, the bread represents his broken body both before and on the cross. And that juice, the, his lifeblood that was poured out in death for us so that we may have life. Unlike some traditions that would teach that this bread and juice uh, change into something else, um, as, as we've just learned, it's, it's not things like bread and juice that change, but we change. <laughs> We're the ones that change uh, in this covenant relationship. The Lord doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The bread and the juice don't change. They are symbols of the covenant. We are changed as we remember what he has done for us. Now, here at EBC, we do invite to this celebration, the celebration of this covenant, all baptized believers, those who have been justified through faith in Christ's death, and those who are being sanctified through that ongoing process of repentance and sanctification those who are actually connected with a church that believes this same gospel, we invite you, if that describes you, we invite you to join with us in this celebration. But this celebration is not for everyone. and actually comes with a warning. And so here are three reasons maybe not to join in this celebration. First, if you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, uh, don't take the bread and cup. Just let it pass by. Second, if you're holding on to unforgiveness against another person, don't take it. Reconcile first and then take it. And thirdly, if you're holding on to a sin that you will not repent of, then don't take the bread and the cup. Repent first and then you can take it with us next time. Now, this celebration is not about being good enough to participate. It's about submitting to the process of sanctification that the Holy Spirit is working in us. So here at EBC, we we will hold on to the bread and the cup until everyone has been served and then take it together as a symbol of our unity together. those uh, who are serving uh, can come and make their way to the front And let this be for you a time of self-examination, what we just talked about as we prepare for this celebration.